Study shows COVID lockdowns found very little positive impact. Biden rolls out executive order plans. Big corporations side with Democrats. And finally, debunking the $15 minimum wage. Thank you for tuning into this episode of The Federal's Files. And second, we have to turn down the capability of these conservative influencers to reach these huge audiences. There are, are people on YouTube, for example, that have a larger, daytime, a larger audience than daytime CNN, and they are extremely radical and pushing extremely uh, radical views. And so it's up to the Facebooks and YouTubes in particular to think about whether or not they want to be effectively cable networks for disinformation. And then we're going to have to figure out the OANN and Newsmax problem. You know, that these companies have freedom of speech, but I'm not sure we need Verizon, AT&T, Comcast and such to be bringing them into tens of millions of homes. Um, I, I, this is, you know, allowing people to seek out information if they really want to, but not pushing it into their faces, I think is where we're going to have to go here. Now, that is Alex Stamos. He's a former Facebook employee. He was on Brian Stelter's show. Uh, on CNN, essentially he, he's just he's saying we need to shut down conservative speech, whether it's we go through the ISP, the internet service providers, whether we go through uh, Verizon, AT&T, Optimum to shut down free speech from conservatives, or we, we change algorithms so people have to actually go out and look for that information. We should not give... OAN, as in One America News, Newsmax, Fox News, we shouldn't give any of them a platform. And then he also, and this is almost this is almost embarrassing for CNN, <laughs> that he goes, oh, there's some daytime, there's some daytime conservative speakers that get more viewership than CNN's daytime. And that just shows that it has nothing to do. They make it like it's it's much more it's much easier to to look on your phone, look for the Daily Wire, look for Dan Bongino than it is to just turn on the TV. They make it like that somehow easier and there's some sort of at work, there's some sort of advertising that's tricking people into flowing over to a Daily Wire or or a conservative news network rather than turning on CNN. As if as if it's so we have some sort of the conservatives have some sort of Jedi mind tricks that we're playing on people so they come over and listen to our channels. But it's because they're telling they're telling a different perspective that they're not getting on CNN, and that's why people are actually because it actually resonates with people. Essentially, that is the reason that people are going to these other networks it has nothing to do with any type of malpractice or antitrust. Uh, so so there you go. I mean, that is the ex Facebook employee. So that that's just to get a look at what's going on in our big tech industries, our big tech corporations. That is the thought is that we need to shut these people down, we can't give them a platform, we need to take the ISPs, we need to make them now accountable for it, we need to pretty much eliminate all avenues of travel to get disseminate any type of information that's conservative, we need to attempt to eliminate all of that. So today, today what I'm going to be doing is, I have a lot of information here, I'm going to be talking about the $15 minimum wage, some executive orders coming down from Biden, we have... Uh, these COVID lockdowns in this Newsweek article were found to actually be to have little impact, if if no impact, comparing different different countries that have that had the lockdowns and countries that didn't have the lockdowns. But first, I'm going to get started with I have AOC. She's calling for defunding. She demands federal funding to de-radicalize de uh, white supremacists. So she's looking for fun funding to de-radicalize white supremacists. It's a Daily Wire article. Once again, everything I'm referring to will be in the show notes in the description below. So sh this one starts off, and it is written by John Brown. 
It states, neglecting the dis- to distinguish, and this is talking about AOC. AOC is pretty much just calling for federal funding to help de-radicalize white supremacists. I guess they're going to have some sort of setup program. She said something like it needs to be tripled, needs to be double, tripled, quadrupled. So she neglects in this, <clears throat> when she talks about it, she neglects to distinguish between white supremacists and those who question the integrity of the 2020 presidential election. Ocasio-Cortez stressed the importance of counteracting what she had described as the unaccountable misinformation bubble that she claims deceives them. <clears throat> she states, and I quote, there is no de-radical- de-radicalization or de-radicalizing in one conversation, she said. It did not take one conversation to convince people of the conspiracy theory that the election was stolen. It took stolen. It took echoes. It took people hammering this. It took the president saying over and over and over again. It took his echo chamber saying it over and over and over again. It took the completely unaccountable misinformation bubble around him, hammering it over and over and over again. <clears throat> and that is how people get radicalized. And it takes a lot of that repeated effort to get people back out. So really, she's 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 calling for people to get into re-education. It's, it sounds almost like because it needs... It takes a lot of time in some sort of a re-education camp. Because I don't know how you're going to enforce that. <clears throat> if you want to de-radicalize people that you think that... So 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 essentially, if you believe that the election was stolen, or you believe that there was certain inconsistencies in, in, uh, in voter ballot drops, if there was anomalies, numbers that did not really make sense and were outside of the normal standard deviation, then you are a radical... Uh, white supremacist <clears throat> by her by her standard here, which she's trying to, which she's trying to allude to. So she recently actually called for a congressional committee to combat disinformation in the media, drawing criticism from from some who claimed she was effectively calling for an Orwellian Ministry of Truth. <laughs> which, yeah, we should not have the federal government determining what news is appropriate and what news isn't. As long as it falls within the freedom of speech, we shouldn't have an issue there. If anyone is lying about specific things, then they can get sued for defamation or libel. Or so, so that kind of in and of itself provides a safeguard on the First Amendment somewhat to an extent. Um, I think the best method that we have going forward, I don't think we should have authoritative sources or we shouldn't have people determining that say they're third party, but they're really not third party because they're funded by like by Democrat Party uh, operatives. We should not have, we should not have people determining what is news and what isn't news that can be followed or watched, and that is actually what's going on more than anything that is going on through Google. Google controls ninety percent of the search engines out there. Every single time somebody goes on their iPhone, iPhone automatically has an extension plugin that automatically, as soon as you pull up your Safari default, it goes to Google to search. So that's part of the reason, and then a lot of people own iPhones, obviously, but 90% of the search engines or the searches on the internet are actually controlled by Google. And they already have an algorithm in place that throttles conservative content and it uh, propagates content that that is of the liberal sense or on the left. And that's obvious. If you look up, if you try to look things up, it's so difficult to find them on Google if you're a conservative, the things, because you'll say, oh, wait, I saw this on the news, and then you try to look it up, and you can't find it. They make it almost impossible for you to find it. You have to keep going, scrolling through pages. They do that purposely. So if there's any type of ministry of truth that's going on right now, or 
or propagating of certain news over others, prioritizing. That's coming from the left. That's coming from Twitter, Facebook, Google. So that's that's why that's why it's weird because you have and she's complained about it before. I think she actually said the other day that they need to kick Trump off YouTube or something. And then uh, I think Kamala Harris was the one calling for Trump to get kicked off Twitter. And then I think I want to say that Elizabeth Warren said the same thing. So out of all politicians across the board, we're looking at specifically specifically. And you, if you can find me an instance for conservative. I'm all willing. If you can find me an instance of Republicans saying to kick other people off the platform that have opposing views, I'd love to see it. But we have seen consistently from the Democrat Party them telling private business to kick people off their platforms, which is now we have private business doing the bidding of the Democrat Party and the government. And prove me wrong. Somebody prove me. If they see this video and you feel like I'm wrong, prove me wrong. Then find 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 people on the on the uh, Republican side that has have done the same thing. So next, what I have here is I have Alum Bakari, and he alludes to this a little bit. He is on Lou Dobbs' show. He actually wrote a book. It was called Hashtag Deleted, and uh, Hashtag Deleted: Big Tech's Battle to Erase the Trump Movement and Steal the Election. Which and and he wrote that in 2018, so he was already ahead of the curve. He knew this was coming, and at the same time, I had an idea it was coming. I was reporting this myself earlier. All the big tech stuff, who funds the third party fact checkers, all this other stuff before actually they started kicking people off the platform to the extent in which they're doing it now. They were always kind of kicking people off, but there was not this vast purge of conservatives off off of uh, their their social networks. So here's an interview he has. He talks about the big tech collusion with the Democrat Party and how it has become an enforcement arm of the government. Check it out. To be on, what we're witnessing really is the revenge of the corporate oligarchs. It's the culmination of a trend I've been covering for five years at Breitbart News, which is the merging of the political power of the Democratic Party with the unchecked corporate power of big tech giants. And by forcing parlor off the internet, one of the few social networks where you could have free speech, uh, they've sent a message to the American public, we are not going to allow you to have free speech on the internet uh, anymore. Uh, You're not going to have it again. You're not going to threaten our power and our narrative ever again. And anyone who tries to do it will be destroyed. It's the Democratic Party using these giant corporations as its muscle Mm -hmm. to squelch dissent, to stamp out competing points of view. And it's actually very similar to what the Chinese Communist Party does. It uses so-called private corporations as an arm of the state, as an arm of political power. That's now happening in America. And I think we're going to see a lot more of it as Democrats increasingly call for retribution against their political opponents. Yeah, folks, this is this is the only this is the precipice. This is only the beginning of this. This will continue the uh, the big tech shutdowns of conservative voices. I currently can only post so many times because I'm a spammer account, according to Facebook. Uh, there, there are certain people. This is only going to continue until conservatives get their own web servers, their own their own cloud-based infrastructure and and maybe even at this point their own ISPs which would be insane but this is going to continue this is only the inception of this it will continue to go on it is going to get more and more rampant it will get worse because there has not yet to be a reaction from the American people there's been a reaction from the conservative side but the majority does not care 
uh, especially the liberal side. The liberal side doesn't stand for First Amendment speech. Uh, they've been pretty much silent on this one, so they don't. They're they're okay with it, and they're pretty friendly to it. My last video, I did a study. Younger voters are generally much more friendly to shutting down speech and actually imprisoning people for certain forms of speech. So next, what I have is an international study, and this is the Newsweek study I was referring to earlier. Uh, COVID lockdowns may have no clear benefit versus other voluntary measures. International study shows it is written by Natalie Colarosa or Colarosi. Okay, so the peer-reviewed study, so in this in this piece, she looks to a peer-reviewed study. It is in the European Journal of Clinical Investigations on January 5th. It analyzed coronavirus cases in 10 different countries in early 2020. The study compared cases in England, France, Germany, Iran, Italy, Netherlands, Spain, and the U.S., all countries that implemented mandatory lockdowns, lockdown orders, and business closures. And then they compared all the ones that did that, the, the closures and the lockdowns, to a South Korea and a, and a Sweden which instituted far less severe and more more voluntary responses whether i think i think those states i think south korea what they did is they made everyone had to wear a mask i believe but they kept everything open same thing with sweden i think they told them not even to wear masks and they were just going to keep everything open because they're they're doctors on the other hand so so there's a lot of conflicting opinions everyone makes like fauci is the end all be all there's a lot of conflicting opinions because other countries doctors or government officials said that the masks don't work and they, they show very little yield and in, in efficacy. So the, to them, it was, oh, well, there's no point, don't even wear them. We're just going to keep everything open. We're going to keep doing uh, things the way in which we're going to do it now at your own discretion. If you want to voluntarily stay home or what have you, that's fine. That's essentially what they went ahead with in South Korea and Sweden, whereas all these other countries did a business closure and lockdown orders. And this study aimed to analyze the effects that the less restrictive versus the more restrictive measures had on individual behavior and curbing the transmission. So this is all about transmission of the virus. And I have the results here. This is just to keep it as short as I can. And now on the Newsweek piece, when you click that link, the article is also hyperlinked to it as well. It's in you know, the description of the article. So this is straight from the actual journal. Results. Implementing any NPIs, and NPIs they described as the those strong lockdown measures, was associated with a significant reduction in case growth in 9 out of 10 study countries, including South Korea and Sweden, that implemented only uh, non-significant changes. They call it IR NPIs, but the, what do I want to say, the more moderate or the, the less severe the less severe lockdown measures. After subtracting the epidemic and the, the effects from the less severe shutdowns, we find no clear significant beneficial effect of the locked, the heavy lockdowns on case growth in any country. Uh, in France, so they're going to compare France and Sweden here. They're saying the, the difference in transmission was only 7%. So Sweden had an extra 7% rate of transmission and uh, compared to France. And then South Korea, 13%. So really what they're saying here is, is it worth, for a 7% lower transmission rate, is it worth sinking and crashing the entire economy? 30% of small businesses have been shut down over this. And is it worth putting a good percentage of Americans into destitution where they have no money? That's that's what this article is challenging. Now, between if you want to look at 
Sweden in particular, the the results range from negative five uh, transmission rate to nineteen percent. So the highest transmission rate difference in Sweden and another uh, country out of these other countries that have been stated out of the I think it was sixteen other countries or oh I'm sorry it was it was another eight different countries. The highest. Uh, is 19% meaning the difference in Sweden and in other countries was 19% which that's the best yield of results that they found and the worst is negative five so actually Sweden did better in transmission rates than another country I don't know which one it is exactly but because they don't really go into it and South Korea it's negative 12 to 38 percent so essentially what they're looking at here they're saying, oh yeah, well they were there was an effectiveness. Don't get me wrong, there was there was a in some in some countries if you compare them, there's a small effectiveness, but is it worth everything? Because it's it's inconclusive the data because there's some state there's some countries that actually do worse, and then there's some countries that do better. And it's also because of the amount of testing as well. Some states don't have as much testing as the United States. The United States by far had the highest cases, and that's because of the amount of testing that we had available, whereas other countries didn't. That is the disparity. That's why there's a disparity. And as well as deaths, there's a, a to me, there's a disparity with deaths because they were getting paid out more. These, these medical facilities were getting paid out double from the federal government every single time someone passed away from COVID-19, thus incentivizing putting cause of death as COVID-19 because the payout is double from the federal government. And, the re, and another thing at the very end, and there's just a disclaimer at the end of this one, it says, yeah, it's kind of hard. It's hard to compare because every every one of these countries has different economies. They have different ways of life, different lifestyles. They have different uh, cultural habits as well as diets. And diets plays a huge one. I think that's part of the reason the living conditions in Italy, that's part of the reason Italy had such a high death rate is because you had a lot of, what do they call that, intergenerational families living together, older parents or grandparents living with grandkids in the same house. And also their, their form of lifestyle, their diet as well. So Dr. Fauci has been warning of two new variant strains of COVID-19. This is a New York Post article. I'm not going to really get into it. But what my point is, is if you want to go for another lockdown measure, it shows through this study here that they really do not have a substantial impact. If we're looking at a 7% yield, uh, because between negative 5 and 19, then that would mean that the uh, the median would be around 7%. If we're looking at a 7% yield from lockdowns, then to me, that's not an effective result. That's not an effective remedy. We should not be going forward with that. And then on top of that, uh, there's there's been some information coming out, apparently, that the vaccines are supposed to stop new strains. I'm not sure about any of this, but that's just something to consider as well if we already have a vaccine out then why is it that we're going to keep going with more extensive and more stringent measures yeah so so and then so what i have is i have an investigate and this is this is a cnn article the invet and that's surprising in and of itself investigators pursuing signs u.s capital riot was planned so According to CNN, evidence uncovered, and this is written by Evan Perez, a CNN justice correspondent, uh, evidence uncovered so far, including weapons and tactics seen on surveillance video, suggests a level of planning that has, that has led investigators to believe the attack on the U.S. Capitol was not just a protest that spiraled out of control, a federal law enforcement official says. Among the evidence the FBI is examining 
are indications that some participants at the Trump rally at the Ellipse outside the White House left the event early, perhaps to retrieve items to be used in the assault on the Capitol. A team of investigators and prosecutors are also focused on the command and control aspect of the attack, looking at travel and communications uh, records to determine if they can build a case that is similarly or similar to a counterterrorism investigation. And the reason they're going for a counterterrorism investigation is I think it would actually be easier to retrieve warrants for arrest and to lock up for certain offenses if it's considered a counterterrorism investigation by I think that's the, the Patriot Act would allow them to to it would allow it would facilitate them in achieving the endeavor of getting these people locked up. Now, I also read there's this article I'm going to have it at the very end of the show notes and it's about a man that paid people in Bitcoin uh, evidence shows, if I could find it here, maybe I'll click on it and I'll just read it off real quick. This guy, it says a Frenchman sent 500,000 people or $500,000 of Bitcoin to people and then shortly thereafter passed away by suicide, which is very, it's very weird. Chain, uh, chain analysis, a blockchain analysis company that investigates Bitcoin transactions found that 35 year old Frenchman transferred 28.15 Bitcoin which is a lot of money, which which approximately is $522,000 to 22. And this was at the time it was worth $522,000. I don't really know what it's worth now. It's probably more than that. To 22 different addresses in the single transaction on December 8th. So they're saying that uh, these people are linked, linked to uh, the Capitol riot. So he was sending money to them. Before this all happened on De- in December, and that money was worth way, that Bitcoin was worth way more than, you know, uh, it's worth way more now than it was then. So those people really made out pretty well. That's just to cover that. So what they're what they're saying here on CNN is, and this is CNN, which is which is insane. I'm surprised that CNN even reported this. They and and read the entire article. It's pretty extensive. Actually, it goes into each a lot of the individuals that have been locked up for what they did at the Capitol riot. It goes pretty in depth at what their charges are going to be, um, as well. I think it talks about how they follow QAnon and all that other stuff. But at the very end here, it states by Wednesday morning, the FBI reported that it had received more than 126,000 digital tips from the uh, public regarding the attack on the Capitol. More than three times the number of tips received on Monday. Among the thousands of tips the FBI received are some that appear to show members of Congress with people who later showed up to the Capitol riot. Uh, two law enforcement officials said, this doesn't mean members of Congress and staff are under investigation, but the FBI is checking the veracity of the claims, the official said. So this is weird. There's a lot of videos. There's a video of a Capitol Police officer escorting people into the House of, of Congress, <clears throat> to, the, to the Congress floor, the House floor, which I thought was very weird and odd. Uh, <clears throat> there's a lot of different stories that are coming out about this that don't really add up. And they go into it in this article. So I do suggest you, and this is the first time I've ever told anyone to check out a CNN article. They're talking about counterterrorism, how they're trying to charge them with counterterrorism, any way to lock them up quickly, and then they can do the investigation of those charges, and then they might actually find more stuff. That's essentially why they want to deem this as a counterterrorism case. <clears throat> now, Trump, now this is next. This is Trump directs government to review ways to minimize purchases of Chinese goods and services. This is an Epic Times piece. It is written by Kathy He, 
And just a little background, actually, Epic Times, I didn't know this until the other day. I think Rush was alluding to it on the radio. He was saying the Epic Times was actually a newspaper that used to report in China. And then once they realized what the Communist Party was doing in China, they started to report some of that. And then they got harsher shutdowns from the Chinese government. They got threats, I'm pretty sure. And then they left. And now they're here. So they come out with a lot of China information because they are deemed as a threat uh, from the Chinese government. They're, they're, they are really turning around and, and giving them the middle finger, essentially, every single time they come out with one of these Chinese, one of these Chinese articles that they have. So this is about Trump. Trump is going to shut down. Trump instructed the department and agencies to conduct a review and propose regulatory and policy changes, including potential executive actions to minimize the procurement of Chinese goods and services. National Security Advisor Robert O'Brien stated in a statement, uh, the move is the latest in a fury a flurry of actions in the final days of the Trump administration to focus on a range of threats posed by the Chinese Communist Party. U.S. officials have long sounded the alarm that Chinese technology, both software and hardware, may be used by Beijing for spying, citing security laws that mandate companies to cooperate with Chinese intelligence when asked. All firms are ultimately beholden to the Chinese Communist Party. Security concerns have been raised over a bevy of technologies from Chinese-made drones to telecom equipment giant Huawei to social media apps such as TikTok. So this is actually very important. I've had, if you haven't seen, Mike Pence has actually been coming out talking about, I hope the next administration follows our direction in terms of how to deal with China. Uh, there is definite, and this is not really being covered by the media, there is a definite threat that is coming from China. China it has the biggest surveillance spy state on its own citizens in its country. So who is to say that they're not sending over? And I'm sure that they have, they have, especially Huawei was one of them, TikTok. They have evidence that they're stealing information from Americans and Americans are kind of willingly, blindly with, with the, uh, with the horse blinders just walking right into it. And that's why Trump, he's, he's telling them, hey, I want you guys to minimize as much, as many Chinese goods, especially electronics that can be used uh, to hack into devices or proxies, to hack into devices as a proxy server. There's a lot of out uh, or input and output devices that actually could be used if a printer has access to the internet, for example, uh, a Wi-Fi access. It can actually be used by proxy to hack into that printer, and then from that printer, it, they can hack into your computer because everything is on the same network and on the same server in your house. So there's a, there's a lot of, and, and that's something that the regular American probably doesn't know. So Trump is saying, look out for Beijing, look out for their spying, uh, and we're going to put mandates on these companies, hopefully some sort of executive order mandates, but they're going to, in the next administration, hopefully they will not be repealed. I can see them being repealed. It'll probably be reported, I hope, and then we'll be able to deal with it then with uh, the Biden administration. They have a lot of stuff coming out, and that kind of gets me to the, the next article here. And I really, really hope that they heed the advice of the Trump administration. I think China is a huge threat to our country. Uh, they have the biggest surveillance state in the world. They also have people, enemies that are amongst us, whether they're in our government or they live in the country as spies. And they're, they're definitely something to be, uh, to be worried about, for sure, the way in which they're growing. 
it seems like no one covers it. No one really cares about it. They kind of just let them get away with it. And everyone's the, the left is more worried about Russia and Russia right now. They are floundering. Their economy is in the dumps because of oil, oil prices. And then the United States was no longer dependent. We were the biggest net exporter of oil in the world the last four years so that really killed those sanctions that along with sanctions really killed the economy of russia that's something that's not reported you don't get to hear about it so what i have is i have biden's biden to sign a dozen executive orders on day one in office reverse trump's travel ban rejoin paris climate agreement this is written by paul saka it is a blaze the blaze article Now, Biden's transition team revealed on Saturday that the incoming administration would sign executive orders regarding climate change, immigration, student loans, and coronavirus pandemic. Incoming Biden Chief of Staff Ron Klain sent a memo to his staff on Saturday outlining a 10-day plan of action, including in the memo to the new White House staff, the Biden administration declared it would address four overlapping and compounding crises. The COVID-19 crisis the resulting economic crisis, the climate crisis, and a racial equity crisis. All of these crises demand urgent action, Clean wrote. That's his his chief of staff. And then he goes on, he states, In his first 10 days in office, President-elect Biden will take decisive action to address these four crises, prevent other urgent and irreversible harms, and restore America's place in the world. So you're looking, America's place in the world sounds to me like we want to get involved in foreign uh, in foreign interactions. We want to get involved in foreign countries. That's the putting the whole, the tweet that was, I called all the world leaders and I told them we're back in the game. That tweet that he put out. Uh, we're going to go one by one. He also, he's going to be inaugurated on, on this Wednesday coming up. And he's, and he's willing, he's reporting that he is going to be signing multiple executive orders. Allegedly, he will be joining back up with the Paris Agreement, which President Trump withdrew from. And the reason that he withdrew from that was because he saw that both Paris, I think it was Paris as well as, oh no, India and China, the two of them were told, hey, you guys got to get your your numbers down to this. And they didn't do it, and they they haven't been doing it uh, for years, and they just really don't care about it. And everyone else was okay with it, but Trump was not okay with it, so he jumped out. And then on top of that, over the last four years, we've looked at a... A net seven percent uh, decrease, actually, in our in our carbon fo- footprint in the United States, and it has nothing to do with the Paris Agreement because we were not in the Paris Climate Agreement for most of that time. It actually has to do with the free market, free market enterprise finding ways to make it much more efficient while also not damaging the carbon f- or, or increasing the carbon footprint, which Trump alluded to. I think in his State of the Union they talk about that. But no one, once again, no one reports that. No one cares about it. So what we want to do is we want to get into a Paris climate agreement where we are continuing to lower our carbon fl- footprint while other countries aren't doing it and we're giving money to them to not do it. That's that's essentially what we're going to go do now. The incoming administration will also rescind Trump's controversial travel ban on nations from Iran, Libya, Somalia, Syria, Yemen, North Korea, and certain government officials from Venezuela. Uh, the reason that those were those were banned is because they were worried about uh, violent extremism coming from those areas. Now, amongst the amount of, of countries that were banned, I think it was something like 11 or 12 of them. Now, uh, they were saying it was an Islamic ban, which it wasn't specifically an Islamic ban, because in those specific countries, there's also Christians that live there. 
as well as Jews. And then on top of that, there's also 53 Islamic countries in the entire country. I mean, in the entire world. So of those 53, most of them actually were able, they were not banned from, from traveling to the United States. Thus, it does not make it specifically in an Islamic ban. Now, Biden will reportedly introduce a groundbreaking legislative package addressing immigration reform and provide a pathway to citizenship to the estimated 11 million illegal immigrants residing in the United States. The Biden administration will allegedly sign executive actions regarding the COVID-19 pandemic that will change the course of COVID-19 crisis and safely reopen schools and businesses. Pretty much what he's talking about is he's, he's talking about they're going to have 100 million people in his first 100 days are going to be vaccinated. To be completely honest with you, I don't even know if people are, that many people are willing to go get vaccinated because I've been talking to a lot of people, especially younger people. They do not want to get vaccinated unless if they are actually forced to do it. And some people that are saying if they're forced to do it, they will. They're not. There's going to be a mass non-compliance. And, and that was another thing I read the other day is that these, uh, I don't know exactly. I think it was New York State and another state. They were creating a flight card or an immunity card or a vaccination card record saying, hey, I got this vaccine. And then they were also going to create some sort of web-based server that has all your medical information. And, and if you got the vaccine, I don't remember exactly where, where it was uh, in particular. And then they were also talking about the compliance of these airline companies to also follow these rules and and my answer to that is you're gonna have a lot of people that just say okay then i'm not gonna fly i'm not going anywhere and that is going to kill the economy and then they're gonna have to open that is my personal opinion that's what i think will happen i think that if they're gonna try to implement it through private companies that way i just don't think it's gonna work now if they want to go ahead and have some sort of federal statute or some sort of mandate or law in which they make you go get it then i don't i think there's gonna be a mass non-compliance to that as well now, Biden will purportedly introduce a 100-day masking challenges in which he will implement a mandate where everyone's going to have to wear masks on federal property and interstate travel because of that. That is of his power, you know, he, he thinks. I'm not a huge fan of, I've said this many times, executive orders, whether it's a Republican or Democrat, I'm not a huge fan of them anyway because they're not really technically law and no one, no one should really follow them. He's just treating his toilet paper. The president-elect will reportedly extend the pause on repayment of an interest of student loans and continue restrictions on nationwide evictions and foreclosures, which is something that was mentioned before. Now, the repayment of the interest of student loans is a huge one. I've went pretty extensively into that, how that is a Brookings Institute study found that that mostly just pays for people that are rich because the rich people hold about i think 60 or 70 percent of the uh, student loan debt it's actually even i think it might be more than that but between january 1st and february 1st biden will sign more executive actions and issues additional cabinet directives including ones addressing equity and support in communities of color and undeserved underserved uh, communities and criminal justice system reform. So that's going to be all great coming down the pike. I'm going to report it when it comes out. Now, the 11 million uh, path to citizenship. I was reading, there's there's all these different accounts of it. Some are saying that it's going to be, if you've been in the country already for three years, you're automatically become a citizen. Some were saying five years. And then they're saying they were going to quick, they were going to speed up the process of becoming a citizen. And they're going to make it easier, facilitate it. If you're already in the country illegally, I'm not really sure exactly. I think it's just a power grab from the Democrat Party. They're just looking to add additional voters to their base. They don't really actually care about those people. And then on top of that, it also drives down the labor cost. It drives down the wage for people that are 
regular working class citizens because we're going to have a bunch of unskilled, unskilled labor positions open that these 11 million people are now going to take if they already have not been taking it. And then you're also going to have a non-compliance because these people, they like, they, I mean, I hate paying taxes. They probably also hate paying taxes. So what's the point of becoming legalized if you have the government taking your money from you and then you can go to the emergency room and get emergency care and then you can just lie about where your address is and what your name is and then they'll they'll send the bill to no one. And and the, the U.S. citizenry really fronts the bill for you. Now, Democrats, uh, younger voters welcome more international involvement in U.S. economy. And this goes back to the globalism because a lot of these policies that, that we're going to see from Biden, are they're going to be globalist-like policies. We're going to see interventionalism in war. Uh, I mentioned this before, but that there was that defense bill that went through that defense bill made it actually so trump could not pull troops out of afghanistan without the legislative branch looking at it and that's that's part of the reason why trump trump went to, went ahead with the veto so now we're going to look at interventionalism we're going to look at troops back in afghanistan for god knows what reason so democrats younger voters welcome the more international involvement in u.s economy that is a rasmussen reports they have a poll on this so when all voters are asked about the role of international institutions like the United Nations and World Economic Forum and International Monetary Fund in U.S. policies, 44% say they should be influential in reducing economic inequality in this country, but that only includes 13% who say that they should be very influential, 43% reject that influence, and 25% who say inter international organizations should be not at all influential. So the 43% is probably people that are Republicans, I would think, are probably rejecting the influence of these international non-elected institutions. These are non-elected people uh, and they are institutions. And, and now we're letting foreign countries have impact and influence on what we do here in America in some sort of inst international institution like the United Nations. Uh, it is a total America is a farce. It is it is antithetical to the America First perspective. So forty nine percent think institutions like this should be influential in crafting U.S. policies to address climate change. With nineteen percent who say they should be very influential. Forty three percent oppose outside influence on U.S. policies. With twenty eight percent who say they should be not at all influential. So just to clear this up or to clarify this. We have a lot of people on the left that are saying that uh, almost, almost, almost they have almost an acceptance because they're in their own echo chamber that what they think is the only idea and anyone that thinks otherwise is the fringe or the very, very unusual cases maybe ranging to 10% of the people in the United States. It looks like here there's a solid around 43% when it comes to a lot of these these liberal perspectives or liberal principles and policies that try to get enacted. There's usually at least 40% of people oppose them. So we're looking at at least 4 to 10 people. It's much more than than they think. Uh, they, are, they are under, they're misinterpreting or they're almost under... Uh, yeah, they're misinterpreting. They're misinterpreting the base of the other side, really. Now, just just thirty percent believe these international institutions should be influential in creating regulations governing U.S. business. With nine percent who feel they should be very influential, fifty nine percent oppose their influence in this area, uh, and uh, with thirty seven percent who say they should be not at all influential.
So these international institutions, there's 59% who oppose their influence on creating regulations in U.S. business. But you have to remember, there there's a lot of people that think that these, there there's, in general, there's a majority in a lot of these polls that think that all of these commissions, all these international institutions are a net good to our society. Just remember that. And there was another poll that I remember seeing. Oh, no, this is about the... And I think I'm going to go over that one later. I don't know if that's Rasmussen or that might be another site. But a new Heartland Institute in Rasmussen reports National Telephone Online Survey finds just 35% of likely U.S. voters are familiar with the Great Reset global economic strategy that seeks to change the priorities of capitalism in response to the coronavirus pandemic. 41% have not heard of it, while 24% aren't sure. Among those are, who are familiar, though, among those 41%, 42% favor it, 22% who strongly favor it. Most uh, most people who are 53% are opposed to it, and 43% are strongly opposed to it. So this idea of globalism, there is an opposition to it. It is not something that is just accepted as a consensus, but the left thinks that it's accepted as a... The, the left is so confused when they see somebody that's conservative that comes out with a conservative perspective. They get confused. They call it aggressive. They label it as um, extreme. But it's, it seems like there's a lot of people that are on the same page here. It's just that none of them are coming out openly speaking about it. But all the polls, they seem like they all say that yes. And then as well as the voting data says that there's people that are opposed to their opinions and they just cannot handle it and they almost cannot fathom it. Now, that that $15 minimum wage, I talked about it last last episode. I have a Bongino.com article that, that debunks Joe Biden's case for the $15 minimum wage and that it could kill 1.3 million jobs. Uh, this is substantial. If you want to check it out, it's in the show notes. I highly advise you to check this one out. And he goes on to explain, this is Matthew Palumbo. He is generally the resident uh, fact checker and debunker on Bongino.com. The liberal media is already burying, burying the lead on that. Biden's minimum wage proposal could lift more than 1 million workers out of poverty, read on headline over CBS News, which I also read as well. They were citing a report from the Congressional Budget Office for that claim, a report that found 1.3 million could be lifted out of poverty thanks to the $15 minimum wage, but also that it could cost roughly 1.3 million jobs as well, but also as many, they're estimating from 1.3 million jobs being the lowest to 3.7 jobs being the most. So we're actually going to have more people lose their jobs than are lifted out of poverty that could possibly be uh, lifted out of poverty, according to the CBS News Post. But they don't they don't want to talk about it. The CBS News Post, it specifically cherry-picks evidence and data from the Congressional Budget Office, but then later in that same piece, it says that people could also lose 3.7 million jobs. In other, in other words, for every person taken out of poverty, at least one person would have their income reduced to zero. In the worst-case scenario, nearly three times as many people will be put out of work and lifted out of poverty. Now, poverty is a job problem, not a wage problem, and this is what Palumbo alludes to here. And just listen to this, it's very uh, important. As I wrote years ago, in 2015, only 11% of working-age people in poverty worked full-time. By contrast, 63% of those in poverty don't work at all. Of full-time workers in America, only 2% live in poverty, compared to 32% of the unemployed. If we look at those with 
families, the numbers become even more stark. For instance, in 2011, only 0.3% of families in poverty worked an hourly uh, job earning the minimum wage. So 20, and it seems like this is actually uh, something that is, yeah, that's a stark comparison. So 0.3%, so three-tenths of a percentage point of families in poverty worked an hourly job earning the minimum wage. So it's a very low percentage. And that was in 2011. And I have some charts here I'll show you right after this. A poll of professional economists found in 2019 that 74% of them opposed the $15 minimum wage that should deter any politician from supporting such a policy, but it doesn't because the opposition to such a policy among economists is a mirror image of the opinion of non-economists who overwhelmingly support it. Um, it has to also be emphasized that the aforementioned CBO report was from 2019 before the pandemic, which has disproportionately killed low-skilled jobs. Millions of small businesses are already under mass financial stress, and the negative consequences of wage hikes would only compound in today's environment. Let me explain that. He He's alluding to it that the big corporations are easily going to be able to pay the $15 minimum wage. Guess who won't? The small businesses. The small businesses will go out of business. Thus, <clears throat> the the eliminating the business the eliminating the challenge or the competition of the big businesses thus the democrat party which i've explained many times is now in the pocket of or the big corporations are in the pocket of the democrat party they like the idea of higher wage hikes they're in favor of them they'll come out on all their polls because it looks good for the constituents for the people that vote it looks good on paper when you go oh wow they're willing to pay 15 dollars an hour good for them they're so they're so high and mighty they're so sanctimonious uh and then the big corporations get off with that and then the small all the small businesses end up going out because they can't afford to pay people $15 minimum wage because if they do they're going to have to raise their prices no one will show up they there's going to be a smaller margin and they will just go to the big corporations this will decimate small businesses we've already had 30% of small business closure this year and and this is another policy that's looking to decimate them and it's under the guise of good intentions of course now the 74% that are opposed, and that's what I don't understand, this is the Democrat Party that listens to the experts. Why is it that 74% of uh, professional economists oppose this idea because they know that the effect that it will have on the, on the economy? Why is it that they aren't listening to the experts? And everything is, when the prices go up, everything is proportional. When the price of the minimum wage goes up, there is a price increase of real estate. There's a price increase of the commodities and the goods. If you're looking to get eggs at the grocery store and now you're paying the guy that's stocking the shelf $15 minimum wage to stock the shelf, you're going to, in essence, have to raise the price of all of the goods that are there on the shelf. So here what I have, this is the very first, uh, and this is straight from the, if I can find the actual, according to the U.S. Census Bureau in 2015, this chart is directly from them. So poverty rate of people aged 18 to 64 by work status 2015. So as you can see here, the green, that is 2%. 2% of people that worked full-time and all year round are in poverty, technically below the poverty rate. 2% of all people that work full-time and year-round. Now, 14% of people that worked but not full-time or year-round are were below the poverty line. And then 32% of people... That did not work at all. Uh, we're below the poverty line. So the disparity here is, and I'm gonna. There's another chart here. I'll you know what I'll go over through this one. This one's a pie chart. I have 
people that were in poverty in general, just people that are below the poverty line, 63% of them are people that do not work. And 26% of them are people that work part-time and not full year-round. And then 11% of them uh, people that work full-time and year-round. So that just gives you that giant disparity has nothing to do with minimum wage. That more has to do, and it explains it in this, in the very first chart, where only 2% of people uh, that work full-time are actually in poverty. It, it shows by the very first chart that the disparity has nothing to do with the minimum wage. It's much more relative to jobs not being available, either jobs not being available or people not going to work. It's, it's, the, it's one of those two things, and my guess would be that jobs are not available for people to actually go out and work. So people that live below the poverty line in a general sense, it's, it's much more, there's more cases and scenarios where it is people that the jobs are not available and they're not working, and that is why they're living below the poverty line. It does not have anything to do with minimum wage. But the Democrat Party points to it, and it's easy because then no one goes and does the study. No one looks up the U.S. Census Bureau 2015 data. And then they don't read any alternative sources because you have Google shutting them down and running the search engines. And then you have uh, people like Alex Stamos telling telling them that the ISPs also have to do the same thing. It's all relative. It's all relative. Now, this is... How many more do I have here? I got two more. The, this one is... The most significant, probably, amongst everything that I have here today. I really, I humbly request you to check it out. It's a PJ Media piece. It's titled, If Global Corporations Walk Away from Republicans, the GOP Will Have to Listen to New Voters. It's by Stacey Lennox. And it goes on to explain how these big corporations are now part of the Democrat Party, and they fund Democrats, and they vote for Democrats, whereas they used to not do that, and now that's what they're doing. So global, it starts off, global corporations have also been been looking for reasons, looking for, re, for a reason to abandon Republicans for some time. The Chamber of Commerce broke with Republicans and endorsed Democrats this cycle. Uh, this is despite corporate tax cuts and other business-friendly policies being passed by Republicans. These are not really the policies global companies in the chambers are looking for. So tax cuts is not what these big corporations are looking for. Just keep that in mind. They enjoy all the benefits of being U.S.-based companies, but their operations and customers span the world. <clears throat> Many of them have participated in world economic forums, international business councils, uh, the impact of that group states, and I quote, society is best served by corporations that have aligned their goals to long-term goals of society, end quote. It also pledges to use the UN Sustainable Development Goals as a roadmap, as if those are the goals of most members of society, which they are not the goals of most members of society. So what we're looking at is here, the Chamber of Commerce it is almost independent. It is not technically a department within the government. It is independent with some of the biggest corporate heads on that board trying to determine what should be done with our economy. Now, we're looking at a, a leaning towards globalism from these individuals. They're looking <clears throat> internationally, international business. They're looking for society to be best served by the corporations. Society meaning the entire world. We're not looking. We have a U.S. Uh, Chamber of Commerce that is looking... They're looking for the benefits across the, the world than the benefits around our country. They are more concerned with helping people through a UN Sustainable Development Goal, helping people in other countries than they are regular working class Americans. 
Now, one of the things this group has proposed is a common set of core metrics and disclosure for businesses. It combines typical financial reporting with non-financial metrics like gender equality, environmental impact, supply chain, and other activities. Social justice reporting is the only way this can be characterized, and the burdens would crush some of the small to medium-sized businesses. <clears throat> this is all part of the WEF's Great Reset and the move to stakeholder capitalism, which will advantage large global corporations through crushing regulation that can that they can afford to comply with. In late 2020, you may recall the climate czar, John Kerry, assured the unelected global forum, a Biden administration would move quickly to join this initiative. So this is the whole Great, great Reset thing we're looking at. Big corporations want to push all these social justice reform, all these other things, and then they also want crushing regulations coming from the federal government that they know small to medium businesses are not going to be able to comply with because they just do not have the money, they do not have the net profit coming in to pay for more and more lawyers and to be able to reach those regulations. It is straightforward to see why global companies would align themselves with a party that rushes to join unelected international bodies and their global initiatives. The Republican Party under President Trump would not have jumped on board, especially since the WEF, like most uh, most international organizations, gives China a pass. Our foreign policy was centered on combating economic and national security threats from China. This only accelerated post-pandemic. So, yeah, we're looking at more and more globalism initiatives that are going to be pushed through in the next uh, in this next administration. So a significant majority of Americans, 73 percent, have negative view of China. Continued international integration will hurt working class, middle class Americans the most. So if we're shipping jobs out to China, and that's the point of this whole chamber of commerce, they know that they can maximize their funds, they can maximize their money if they're shipping jobs to China, getting cheap labor prices, and then selling it to Americans for, for much more money. It also decimates the middle class and the and the, the, the uh, small businesses as well because they just cannot compete with slave labor, essentially. So if, if Republicans plan on winning elections, these are the voters they will have to listen to and appeal to, as in the middle class workers. The party will need to develop a slate of policies that increase these fam families' prosperity and securing to combat the destruction that Democrats and their allies and big business will do with horrible energy and trade policy. So yeah, they're going to kill the oil industry people are people are afraid of that i don't think that's going to happen anytime soon i think maybe by 2050 they'll try to kill the oil industry that's just me personally because oil is interconnected in everything that we have uh, the democratic republic cannot exist without a content population in the middle class this is evident when you look at california where it is all but disappeared progressive policies benefit the wealthy who profit and the poor who are subsidized that is why uh, Democrats insist on trying to make us believe we are in a race war rather than a class war. If a broad coalition of working and middle class voters across racial and geographic lines understood progressive policies decreased their prosperity and security, Democrats would never win another election. So wokeism, uh, these these progressive policies that are being instilled by the Democrat Party, they hurt the middle class the most. And what the Democrat Party does is they allude to race wars over and over again uh, because they know that's an immutable characteristic and it is something that gets a rise out of people and inflames them because they don't want people to actually know what they're doing in the background. They know that their progressive policies kill the middle class. They kill 
the prosperity of middle class workers and if the word actually gets out that their progressive policies and their globalism like structure does that and creates just an upper class a connected few and everyone else is living in poverty if they know that that's and that's generally what happens in communist and so, uh, socialist regimes when they know that's that ha that will happen what they do is they try to uh, trick or deceive the people by going through racial and geographical lines with their progressive policies. But if the middle class really actually knew across the board, because we are the largest, we are the largest population in the entire country. If the middle class knew that their prosperity was being decreased by these globalist policies, they would vote the other way. And that's why 73% of Americans don't like that. And that's why the Republican Party is going to have to try attempt to pick up some working class Americans in all different uh, demographical groups. They've seen an increase uh, this election, black voters, Hispanic voters as well. So maybe that might continue. Maybe some people are coming around and they're realizing that the Democrat Party's ideals, especially with, with abortion and some of those classical Christian societies, um, the black community as well as the Hispanic community, they're deeply religious, a lot of them. Uh, maybe that will kind of bring them around to the Republican Party and get them to vote for the GOP. That's what they're hoping for, I guess, in this article. Uh, this is the coalition that President Trump started to build. An increasing share of minority voters realized this election that the policies he implemented gave them a greater share of the American dream than anything Barack Obama had done. As global companies withdraw support, and they will, Republicans who want to win will have to listen to these voters and appeal to communities that they have not traditionally been able to court. So yeah, they're gonna they're gonna have to go ahead with that and attempt to get some communities that they never had before if they're looking to beat the Democrat Party. That's just all politics. But in general, I, I've said this before. I'm not really, <clears throat> I'm not deeply Republican. Uh, I think there's a lot of establishment Republicans that act like they're Democrats. Uh, now Republicans, do I think they're answered all your problems? No, I don't think the government in any any sense is ever really the answer to everyone's problems. I don't think the government should be deitized or or exalted. As the ones that are going to fix everyone's problems, I look to myself, I look to my family, I look to people in the community, I do not look to the government officials to solve problems for me, or I look to myself. And that is the difference um, between the right and the left. The left kind of looks to these institutions and glorifies them thinking that they're going to do something for them and then they wait it out for so long and it seems like these institutions will never actually do anything for them. <laughs> and and that is that is the difference is that the republican party has to now the democrat party why i say they are the republican party i don't think is the answer to everything but i think the democrat party is definitely the problem for sure um and they're gonna have to try to the republican party is gonna have to attempt to court some of these democrats and then the republican party also needs to purge some of these rhinos that are in their midst there's a lot of them uh a lot of government officials that are really just hacks across the board whether they're democrat or republican so lastly here, what I have, I have a Rasmussen poll. 23% uh, say the country is headed in the right direction. So we have, after this election and everything, January 7th, this survey was done. So at that point, people are pretty sure that it's going to be a Biden administration. We have 23% of likely U.S. voters think the country is headed in the right direction, according to a new Rasmussen Reports national telephone and online survey for the week ending January 7th, 2021. This week, finding is three points down from it was a week from what it was at a week ago it is the lowest number since president trump was elected 
The percentage of likely U.S. voters who said the country was headed in the right direction never previously fell below 24% during Trump's presidency. This week's number is the lowest since July 10th and 14th in 2016. That was during the Obama administration when just 21% of the country was said it said that they were that we were heading in the right direction. So we have 23%. We have about a quarter, a little bit less than a quarter of our country. So so then dramatically, 75% of the people think that we are not headed in the right direction as a country. And now that could be right after January 6th. That could be the fallout from that. Or it could actually be because the incoming administration, people are not confident in what's going to happen. We don't really know. Now this is a Rasmussen poll, 1,000 people. As always, plus or minus 3%. It is 95% uh sure or effective that's the way they deem it so that's just something to think about and and lastly i have this investigation is a daily caller is a daily caller oh this might actually be the one it might not be the cnn article actually i think it was but there was an investigation antifa who was if if antifa was responsible for the capitol hill riot that's a daily caller article uh deeming there was i think that guy john sullivan was arrested but other than that i don't think they have actually arrested anyone that is antifa so just check that article out if you want to see who they have arrested and what their charges are but that's going to be it for this one thank you for tuning into the federal's files I hope everyone enjoys the show. I hope everyone enjoys their week. Just a reminder, housekeeping, I will not be doing Federalist Papers this entire week. I'm going to start back up next Monday. The Federalist Paper uh, articles are usually Monday, Wednesday, and, and Friday. Usually they release at 6 o'clock p.m. And then I do one or two current events. Usually it's like a Thursday morning the current event comes out. And then on the weekend on like Sunday morning, Saturday night into Sunday morning. So thank you for tuning in. Please like, share, subscribe. Make sure you drop the mic. Let people know about the the show because i cannot advertise it myself uh thank you everyone enjoy your week have a good one